Welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast, brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed, providing expert support and advice across all your corporate finance, due diligence, tax and accounting needs. BDO have been a champion of our industry for many years and are really proud to support many of the best brands in hospitality. If you want to make sure your business is in the safest of hands financially, BDO would love to take you for a coffee to understand your business vision so that they can help you get there. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how BDO can help take your hospitality business to the top and please say that I sent you. Supersonic. 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 From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The rocket fuel podcast for food, drink, and hospitality businesses everywhere. Listen up. Tell all your friends and share with your colleagues. Every single episode is packed full of tips, tricks and advice on how you can make your brand boom. So today I've just been lucky enough to have some breakfast over in Baker Street and I was in the brand New Look Bills, which is looking absolutely fabulous. And it was lucky I was there today because I was doing a little bit of nosying and research pre-podcast so that I'd be able to speak with some authority for a change with my next guest, Mr. David Campbell. So excited to have David on the podcast, real A-lister in terms of the casual dining industry and marketing and many other industries actually as a whole. David talks me through why He's been attracted to always be working in culture-led companies, challenger-led companies, and also his journey all the way through his career from radio to Pepsi to the Millennium Dome that became the O2, Formula One, and all the way through the fast casual dining industry. So it gives me the most chairman of the board pleasure ever to introduce my next guest, who is the mighty David Campbell. Gosh, I, I didn't recognise that, but thank you very much. <laughs> Can I take you around and have you intro me everywhere? Uh, yeah, you could be your hype man, <laughs> like some kind of rap thing. Very good. <laughs> good to see you. Nice to see you too. And yeah. thanks for taking the time it to always, come. Always a pleasure. So, um, yeah, busy. <laughs> yeah, just a wee bit. Yeah, no, it is busy, um, but busy in a good way. So yeah, no, lots of opportunity out there, which is great. It's reporting good figures. Everything's going yeah, well. Good figures. All the businesses are doing really, really well. And I, I don't always want to do it, but I think we sort of kind of thrive in times when other people are maybe not having quite such a good time. Yeah, because we're lucky. We've got good backers. Yeah, and we can kind of push forward and do things, which is good. Yeah, nice, like nice. It. Yeah. So, um, a lot of today is going to be going back a bit, because you've got quite a story to tell, and there's a couple of stories I really want you to tell as well, hopefully you might do those. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been quite a career. Where did you start? How did all this come about? God, um, we lad from Scotland, came through London, ended up in America in university, uh-huh. and a sort of very traditional um, brand marketing with General Mills and Pepsi. Okay. 
and then came back to the UK with Pepsi and then uh, went to work for for a little company that was just about to float on the stock market called Virgin. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, uh, from the rock market to the stock market was the, was the phrase. <laughs> oh, was it really? Term. That was the phrase <laughs> with uh, none other than, than uh, one Mr. Branson, as he was then, um, jumping into a swimming pool with a bowler hat on. So that was the ads for Floating Virgin. Um, and spent a lot of time with them and sort of grew up with them. So... Um, it was great, but I had sort of five years of sort of marketing proper training uh-huh. in inverted commas. Not sure if I yeah. learned how much I learned, but I, I did. With Pepsi from, in general. Yeah, with Pepsi beforehand in New York and in London and in uh, Amsterdam. Yeah. And, and what, what sort of was the structure of putting you through? You know, because there's a lot of lack of discipline, I think, in, in the hospitality market, you know, for that yeah. classic marketing. Yeah, it's it was all um, well. There, there are lots of different ways that people do it, but it's all it was all very uh, profit and loss driven. So you were responsible for the business, and you just got more and more responsible for bigger and bigger businesses. So started mm-hmm. out uh, in Pepsi, I sort of became the the worldwide knowledge outside of the US on diet Pepsi and caffeine free Pepsi. I know you'd look at me and go, clearly the diet Pepsi didn't work for me, <laughs> but it. <laughs> but I was the uh, the international expert on it, and then I ran. Um, Pepsi in the UK, and then I was um, all of the brands in the Netherlands, which uh-huh. was good fun. And how was it being that challenger brand? Was there a bit of a? I I think that's it's quite interesting. Actually, interesting you say that. I never thought of it, but I think that probably set me up pretty well for life mm-hmm. with that because I've always enjoyed being the uh, the sort of number two and the challenger, yeah. and trying to be a little bit counterculture mm-hmm. and um, different. And I'm always I don't want to be part of this club that wants me to be a member kind of thing yeah, that sort yeah. of thing if you know what I mean yeah yeah. and then with that what was the biggest things you did at Pepsi then was that the the new generation side of things or later than that what was, what was uh, going with on with Pepsi we were doing the Pepsi challenge that was right. where people have got a choice um, they prefer Pepsi over Coke and we got to a point um, where Coke actually introduced a thing because it's going way back before most people listening to this will even remember but introduced a thing called New Coke Yes, that was a new recipe so I mean they got so frustrated by the whole thing uh, and I, I do remember in the Netherlands going and running a press conference and getting all the, the Dutch press out to uh, come and uh, talk about all that stuff and they they um I got a very polite but quite angry note from them saying that uh, we are not a PR vehicle, we're a news channel, so please oh. don't get us out to talk about all this stuff. But right. there you go. But it's, yeah. all, it's quite feisty. Um, it was good fun. And New Coke's just made a bit of a comeback. Yeah, so I haven't things. really kept up with lots of that, although um, bizarrely, as the world goes in circles, my son is now doing an internship at PepsiCo. So, oh, really? Yeah. In the UK? <laughs> in the UK. Oh, that's exciting. So nice, nice. Yeah. But by no- nothing to do with me, all his talent, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coincidence, and then Virgin. What I mean, what was it like to be there? That's kind of that legendary, was great. Isn't it? That was fantastic. So I was kind of in, in Pepsi, and I got a, I had an opportunity at I can't remember what it was late twenties to go to uh, two exciting cities. Nothing against them, but Lagos or Jeddah, and decided that I would prefer to stay in London. Okay, and I'd met a few people from Virgin who at the time uh, ran a thing called Music Box, which was like the takeoff before. Um, MTV started in Europe mm-hmm. uh, and we were advertising on, on Music Box and got talking to them and they were like, uh, we're going to become a public company, we're going to float, we need to get some people in who've been from other companies and but they need to be like us and they were. I was lucky enough to be deemed to be like them right. and so off I went to, took a big pay cut and off I went to work for Virgin. Well that's often quite a good tip though that 
you know, for you to go that one step forward in the direction you want to go in, yeah. money isn't everything. I don't. I think money's. It's always a kind of. It's a measure, isn't it? But yeah. it's not. I just doing something for money alone is. I've you know I've done that a few times, and yeah. it's not the right way to go. No, you got to have fun. Got to have fun. And what about being around Mr. Branson and all that? <laughs> what was that like? Was it? It was great. Yeah. So people, uh, people always sort of ask that question. It's kind of. Uh, I had a great relationship with them, still know him and still from time to time, invariably in another city somewhere, mm-hmm. um, run into him, uh, you know, and he, Richard is, he's very involved in something when you launch it. So when we wa- launched Virgin Radio, he was very heavily involved in it. Um, but then you really only get involved in them if the companies don't do very well and go wrong mm-hmm. or you're suddenly expanding it a lot. And fortunately, most of the ones I ran didn't go wrong. So <laughs> I could go sometimes a month or two without talking to him. But I mean, I could get at the time, if you said to me, you got to get a hold of him, I could have got a hold of him within seconds, minutes, wow. you know. So always very accessible, but just, you know, didn't didn't stick his oar in all over the place. So he's great. No, really good fun. Did you learn much from him in oh, terms tons, of... Yeah. tons. I mean, he's just got a... Um, it, his personality, he's just got a real magic dust in terms of inspiring people and yeah. getting people excited. So, you know, I used to say, you've just got to come around. I just need you every three months to come around, shake hands with people, talk to people yeah. uh, and stuff like that. And that was good for three months and then bring him back again three months later and do the same again. Yeah. So he's, no, he's really, really good. But I mean, listen, he's a he's a sharp businessman. Yeah. The, the cuddly pullover that you see, um, as a public persona is definitely there. Yeah. But behind the scenes, there's a tough businessman. You don't yeah. get to be what he is without being a tough businessman. Yeah. But it was great. And I think also I learned, um, God, you're making me think about lots of things from the <laughs> Sorry, past that I hadn't thought down, of before. Can I lie down? <laughs> well, doctor. Uh, so the other, the other thing he was really good about was, um, in retrospect, looking back at it, is just kind of was, was culture. So the, a lot of, you know, a lot of, um, really good people, like-minded people mm-hmm. within it. So there really was a virgin kind of person um, and uh, attracted those kinds of people. And it was because of the strength of that company culture, mm-hmm. uh, a time when the company didn't have, because it went public and then we bought the company back a year or two years later uh-huh. um, and it didn't have loads of money. Um, and But we managed to hire people for, not more than other people, oftentimes less, just because people wanted to work there and because it was fun. So I think a lot of those those things, Doctor, now that you're making me think back to them, have become roots of what I've I've thought about later later on in life. Yeah. And what about the Virgin Radio Adventures then? So Mr. Chris Evans and yeah. the rock and rollness. Oh, of- that's a lot. I should write that down yeah. in a book at some point. Uh, and it's kind of coming back now with uh, Chris Evans reinvented on Virgin figures. Radio. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we we played around in radio and we owned uh, we owned shares in lots of stations, um, Piccadilly Radio in Manchester and a bunch of other people that we owned it. And I was the sort of the radio guide actually in when I'd gone to university in the States, I'd done media and communication. So I knew a little bit about radio mm-hmm. uh, and how it worked. But um Virgin was very much a sort of volunteer kind of status, sometimes in an army volunteer, like you'll be the person to do it. Yeah. But oftentimes, who wants to do this? So uh, it was a great place to learn things like that. So I got tons of things. I spent six months in Hong Kong and uh, and running the radio stations and we had in-house radio stations in the stores and stuff. And then we bid for a national license mm-hmm. um, with a little uh, TV company called TVAM who promptly went on to lose their breakfast TV license immediately after winning the radio license. Oh. So we then 
um, sold their share in it to a, a private equity group, which was my first exposure to private equity, and a fantastic bloke who is a, a big influence, David Frost, um, who was part of TVAM. The and David Frost. The David Frost, wow. yeah, who was a great guy uh, and a lovely, lovely person. Uh, and we started up Virgin from there. But it was, re- it was it was great because it opened so many doors. It was terrible because everyone had such expectations for Virgin. You yeah. couldn't, you almost, unless every single person in the country listened, you almost couldn't make it work yeah. because it was going to disappoint somebody. So, um, But it was brilliant and we did it... Um, I suppose, again, doctor, uh, <laughs> thinking about it, we started out with a bunch of people who were sort of traditional radio people, and then they sort of fell by the wayside. And then right. in three months, we literally started afresh with sort of two people. I remember it very well, Christmas 92. And then by April the 30th, uh, uh, 1993, we launched it nationally. And we launched it, we sort of launched it two or three weeks beforehand. Mm-hmm. And then we launched it properly then because everyone kind of goes launched and it goes wrong. Right. Um, and we, so we ran it for two weeks with, um, gave all the advertising to charity and managed to convince the authorities that it was a good thing. Therefore they should extend our, our ability to broadcast by two weeks. And we did wow. that for two weeks and then went live. And what, what about the launch? And what were the tactics? You know, what was the, a lot of guerrilla mentality? Yeah, a lot much- of guerrilla mentality. I've, 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 we talked about um, a sort of being number two and being the fighter and always wanting mm. to have somebody else who you could, could fight against. So the um, um, poor old people at Capital Radio and stuff like that were always the enemy. And I, mm. I did all kinds of not very nice things to them, like have the first ever um, uh, bus, bus shelter in London that played... Um, radio advertising right opposite their their station so when all their staff got in the bus shelter oh. it automatically started playing virgin radio just because we thought it was quite amusing i <laughs> <laughs> found a way to get virgin radio advertising onto capital which wasn't very nice oh, but wow. you, it's got to be done <laughs> <laughs> and it's great no it's great and there's a really good bunch of people and that was i'd known uh chris evans since actually way before that and we had a um, I won't bore you the details, but an overnight radio um, station owned by Virgin that he was a producer on, mm-hmm. and I'd met him so back in God late eighties, early nineties. So, yeah. and then he became part of that, and then he went on to do Big Breakfast, and then he was um, off to Radio One, and then he came back to Virgin Radio, and then we ended up um, together buying buying the station, which really? was kind of a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, what what sort of made you? make the next step then what was going well, on career wise well we bought we bought virgin radio and he put the tv company in which was doing tfr friday and a whole bunch of other yeah. stuff and we did a bunch of um other music tv shows and stuff like that and then we ended up selling that um to scottish media group mm-hmm. um and then virgin became absolute i did wasn't for me i wasn't part of the it, it was really straight they're a nice bunch of people but it was kind of you, they'd paid a lot of money um can't remember how much now. Two hundred and twenty-five million for the right. whole business, and they were kind of then they were telling you how to run radio stations, and you were going, but you just paid us a lot of money to yeah. <laughs> hire us to run radio stations. So yeah. I didn't last very long, and he he didn't last very long, and <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, and around that time, uh, Jeff Lloyd would have been at Virgin yes, as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a friend Lloyd. of yeah. the show. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, good good old Jeff. Yeah, he's yeah. he's doing great stuff in podcasting now. He's, yeah. 
very high up the charts. Yeah, no, there's a lot of lot of big names in there, and it's quite yeah. no, it's good. It was good fun. Nice. Yeah. And then after that, what happened? So, um, so after that, I kind of um, I got inv- I got a very strange phone call saying, um, "Could you come and meet Ken Livingston?" And I was like, "Okay, that's a strange <laughs> phone call." But I'm always up for a challenge. So, and you should always go and meet people. Sometimes mm. it's the easy cop out to sort of go and say, "Not for me." Uh, and he said, I want to reinvent London and I want to do, I want to market London to people in a different way. And apparently you're very good at marketing. So can you come and help me? And I was like, this is a, this is a bit strange, but okay. <laughs> and there's, it was actually, he was a really nice guy. Got on, it's not my natural habitat, yeah. but um, got on really well. Everyone said, you'll completely fail and anything that's got anything to do with politics but i think that meant i wasn't very good political kind of person <laughs> diplomatic for me uh, and um we did and we started remarketing london and we sort of turned around well two things we did was one turn around london's tourism market share which is 10 percent of london's economy mm. so it's a really big part when you put in hotels and tourist attractions and everything else uh, but more importantly that was sort of reinventing the image of the city so up until that point it was a very sort of um fusty kind of old-fashioned kind of image to it and very simplistically you would do things like you'd put the london eye and big ben together Mm -hmm. so you went here's new and here's old and you'd put city hall and the tower of london together because that was new and old yeah and so we do all these new and old things and start to reinvent the image of it um all of that then helped feed into a campaign to go and win the olympics and i mean a low um, it's funny now. You talk about Boris, and he's he's the prime minister. So, and although the prime minister, <laughs> not sunk was, in yet, uh, is not sunk in no. properly now. <laughs> and although he was the person who was there for the Olympics, it was really Ken, it was Ken who won them. So mm. it was under his reign that um, that the Olympics were won, and he did did all stuff for it. And that was that was fantastic. And we did, and again, we did all kinds. Of, it was really funny. I I I, I guess you tried to be quite anti-establishment mm-hmm. so and you just got you've just got to try things and yeah. see what happens a lot of times they don't you know I'm, I'm very good at forgetting people i didn't get on very well with and i'm very good at forgetting things that go wrong yeah. and i try to remember the better ones but we um i certainly remember when we were tra- we were bidding for the olympics there's a sort of um the cities are bidding get a torch run you can run through the city and mm-hmm. do stuff like that and the very nice people from the BBC, very nice people they are too, um, were all like, oh, yes, we've got something in Hyde Park. It's going to be lovely and we have the trees and we've already got a set up for something in the park yeah. going with it. And we'll do it. And I'm just going like, this is really dull and boring um, because it's a bunch of, it's a, I love Hyde Park, yeah. but it's a bunch of trees in a park. It could be anywhere. <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of going, well, we should be we should be doing something different. So we should do it in the mall. Yeah. And um so we and they said, "Oh no, 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 that can't be done." And we, we came up with this idea to put a stage in the middle of the mall, um, steps with water running down it. Steve Redgrave runs up the steps. Ozzy Osbourne plays on the stage. Buckingham Palace in the background. You know, was that playing me to- on the yeah. roof? Oh no, it's before that. Oh, was that, that was before that? Yeah, 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 but that yeah. was it. And they're going, oh, "You can't do that." You know, the lady at the end of the street doesn't like it, and of course, not liking people saying you can't do that. It's actually the worst thing to say to me. You can't do it. Yeah, you're like right. Um, uh, I somehow managed to find the press officer at Buckingham yeah. Palace who said, um, 
Oh, I, th- I have I have talked to the boss, and the boss is inclined to agree that it, we should do it. I don't think I put it forward as Ozzy Osbourne. I think it was just to build a stage and have a concert yeah. in the mall. But it just happened to be Ozzy Osbourne that ended up playing. There was some other stuff as well, um, and it was it was great, and it all yeah. happened. And we did the same thing. So, I mean, again, we did um, New Year's Eve in London at the time was all about watching a bunch of pigeons in Trafalgar Square and and then watching all the celebrations from Times Square in New York and the Sydney Harbour Bridge. So we yeah. came up and we ended up doing the uh, um, the fireworks in the London Eye. Yeah. And that got us front page news around the world and it helps promote London and it helps drive oh, tourism yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. And, I, and very weird for me because I was kind of the person running all of that and I sort of run around at New Year with my own police detail just in case something goes wrong, which is the weirdest Whoa. experience in the world <laughs> to kind of go like after the <laughs> Well, and, and just personally, though, that's quite a sacrifice. That's like one of the most special times of the year to, to be on. Not you that know? you or I would ever want to have a drink, but <laughs> it was the kind of stone colds over to midnight and then maybe have a couple of drinks afterwards. Yeah, yeah but then the adrenaline's all gone. Oh, in. absolutely, yeah. But that must know. be great for you to see that happening every year now. Yeah, no, no. It's funny to look back and, and kind of, I don't know how many years it's been going on for now, 10 or 15. Wow. And people kind of, you go, well, we did that. And it's kind of, they go, no, you didn't. And you go like, yeah, really did. And what about um, the Millennium Dome and the O2 and all that stuff <laughs> as well? Yeah. Well, I was, so the the promotion in London was sort of public-private partnerships. So the most of the, a lot of the money we got from the, the private sector, from hotels and airlines and people like that, and a little bit of money from government, so the seed money from government and the rest from there. So I was always on the lookout for trying to get people to, to, to put money in mm-hmm. and um, ended up talking to people who looked like they were going to buy the dome thinking well i can get some money from you guys mm-hmm. and that'll be and they seem to be these rich americans so that was like like a good bet um and so ended up, uh, went to talk to them and they were like that's great so when are you going to start and i'm going like i don't know well it depends how much you're going to give me and what we're going to do with the yeah. money and they're going no 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 when are you going to start and i'm like i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> and they were like we want we want you to come work for us rather than that was wow. that so i went to Worked for them before we signed the lease on the what was then the Dome, or what became the O2. Yeah. Uh, what was the I, company called again? Called Anschutz Entertainment Group, AEG. AEG, yeah. So, that's yes, right, AG, yeah. American uh, billionaire called Phil Anschutz, who's a lovely guy who owns it and wow. a lot of other things. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and we did that and then spent. Um, it's a as a business model, you've got to get a lot of sponsorship in. So, getting O2 on board was really important. Yeah. Um, and I mean, they were in- incredibly brave to have the vision yeah. to do that. I, I used to go and do that. We spent about half a million dollars building what became the O2. And um, people used to go and say, you must have done lots of market research before, found out they didn't have a very good image. And you went, no, I went to Google and I put in white elephant dome awesome, and yeah. I got 650,000 hits. So I figured that it was probably not very <laughs> it's probably good. quite bad. Yeah, it's probably quite bad. And there were definitely, of all times in life, that was definitely um, the time that I woke up most in the middle of the night thinking, what the what the hell have I done? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because there were so many good people who had tried to make it work as the Millennium Dome and had failed. Yeah. That it was just kind of like, this is mad. I remember one of the guys from America taking a taxi out there and the taxi driver refused to take him. And we literally wouldn't take him through the Black Hole Tunnel to go there. He just went, no, that's just a complete no man's land, not going there. Wow. 
that was it. But there, there was it was a great time. We and we got it built in a couple of years. I uh, did one of the stupidest stupidest things ever in my life, which was to pull a launch forward by. I think Wembley Stadium had been delayed and always being slightly competitive. I wanted to yeah. get it open before Wembley, so I was like, yeah. let's pull it all forward by two weeks. But, I mean, if you've been to the O2, it's quite a big outing. <laughs> and to pull that forward by two weeks was not a, not yeah. a clever thing to do. It's pretty crazy. I mean, yeah. I, I seem to remember, so I would, I would have been at lastminute.com not long after that was happening. Yeah. Um, and I remember we were up against O2 bidding for the Wireless Festival. But um, which O2 one? But uh, we, uh, I remember you went really big. So first band was Stones or uh, Justin Timberlake. So well, first band was uh, Bon Jovi. Or was it? Who bon sort of became the almost the sort of house band of the whole whole uh-huh. thing. But in the first, so it launched in June. I should remember the date, twenty seventh or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, two thousand and seven. But we had uh, Bon Jovi that summer. We had three nights of the Stones. We had twenty one nights of Prince. We had Led Zeppelin reformed. Yeah. The Spice Girls, Spice Girls reformed. Um, take that, you name it. It yeah. just went. I crashed Ticketmaster so many times. It was, <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> best best gig there you saw? Oh God. Um, I mean, I love the Stones, sure. so that's that's great. Although I think the show in Hyde Park was even better than right. than that. Um, I, I mean, you, you can't. I kind of want to say Led Zeppelin because uh-huh. it was the first time they played for so long. But That's there was so many good gigs. Some of the Prince nights Prince were amazing. Were amazing. Yeah, so twenty one nights of Prince, and he was um, easier for the audience than me. So I mean, he he um, he uh, he's a he's a compli- He was a com- God bless him. He's a complicated character. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always think people who are creative, they walk a cliff edge, and if you walk a cliff edge, sometimes yeah. you put a foot over the edge yeah. and the people who are really dull and boring the people who are 20 feet back from the from the edge of the cliff yeah. being really safe very predictable they're not going to fall off the cliff yeah. but they're a bit dull um, so the really creative ones like Prince you know who's just an amazing talent had sort of fallen out with his band and so sort of night five of this thing you've oh. got 20,000 people I'm, and I'm thinking knowing behind the scenes I'm thinking maybe he's not got, maybe the band's not going to turn up tonight and he fallen out with the twins as well. Yeah, a oh, lot. All it's everybody's Jeez. fallen out, and it's all kind of the um, so the sort of first song just Prince, second song just Prince, third song just Prince, fourth song just Prince. Audience is loving it, and I'm going, blimey! Yeah. But I'm almost accepting that if there's one artist in the world who can play a solo show yeah. in a twenty thousand seat arena, it's Prince. Yeah, and then the first song, thank goodness, the band appeared. <laughs> so that was it. <laughs> but no, it's great. Good fun. Yeah, I remember seeing him, and he, he where we were sitting, he got snuck in in a flight case. That's right. Yeah, stage. well, it was a stage. It was a um, stage in the centre. Uh-huh. There was no because it's built on an old gas works. There's no tunnel underneath, right. so everything is there. So you have to, you had he had to get you go backstage, and he was getting piled into yeah. a flight case, and then we, which could explain by his kind of he's <laughs> quite a crazy guy <laughs> and then he and he burst out yeah. but the night we went first song Purple Rain yeah first song I know I mean, well, and the, what was beautiful like 21 nights he didn't he didn't play the same set list yeah. every night it was completely different every night and then he did an after show so I think 15 or 16 of the nights he played after show I remember yeah. the, on night 21 I left at 3 o'clock in the morning and got on one of the the uh, Thames Clipper express boats down the Thames, and he was still playing. But you know, I I, I went past my bedtime. At you were done. <laughs> uh, so I remember he, he played the Hippodrome as, as one of the yeah. after shows as well. He, he went in he out there. Over. Well, originally yeah. he was he was twenty one nights, and we never thought he could 
filled 21 nights yeah. at the O2. So we had everywhere in London booked from pubs to clubs. And we just, when you put these tickets on sale for artists, you just, you put the first show on sale and then you, you kind of almost electronically watch the, the, the place fill up 80% and then yeah. you go second show release and that's what we kept doing and we got got to 21. Yeah. And did sadly did the, the same thing with um, Michael Jackson. Yeah, cool. So we sold 50 50 shows 750,000 tickets and just amazing could have been could have been the most incredible show yeah well sad from supersonic inc this is the mark mcsee supersonic marketing podcast just a friendly reminder that this podcast is brought to you by the good folk at bdo BDO have been long-term supporters of the hospitality sector and they are really passionate about supporting innovative entrepreneurs on their journeys and they also want to give you the right advice and support to grow your business. Just in case you don't know, BDO provides tailored advice to the sector across corporate finance, due diligence, tax and all accounting matters. BDO work tirelessly to give their clients the advice that they need when they need it to succeed. For more information on BDO and how they can take your business to the top, go to bdo.co.uk. Hashtag ad. After that then, Formula One? Yeah. What was that? Were you, were you a petrol head? <laughs> I or? wasn't really. I'm an armchair enthusiast. Uh-huh. I like it. Um, I know a little bit about it, but I, you'll get people to go, okay, 1964, who did? You're like, I don't know the answer to that question. (laughs) So I had the same thing with a bunch of sports journalists once on a a Premier League thing where they were kind of going, 1937 Arsenal team, who played? And you're going like, I have no idea. I'd love to have that knowledge. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm not sure I want to have it. That was it. So no, I loved it. They wanted somebody who understood hospitality, sponsorship and the rest of it. And... It's a really when you start to think about it, it's a pretty niche sector. So we would we had about seven million people a year going through the O2, of whom we were were feeding from all the way from sort of VIP mm-hmm. through to to um you know I it's where I first learned a lot. I, different story for another time. I owned a pub a long time ago, but I, but I had sort of twenty bars and restaurants. So I, so almost everyone who's a competitor today was a tenant of the O2. Right. So you kind of got to, and they were all on turnover rents, or part of the rent was turnover. So you got to know their businesses quite well because mm-hmm. you wanted them to make more money. Um, but we also did all the hospitality, and then obviously people hadn't done, in the UK, hadn't done naming rights on stadiums and stuff like that before. Right. So that kind of got me together with the guys who owned um, Formula One, and they were, there was a big opportunity to sort of move that part of the Formula One mm-hmm. um, entity forward. Yeah. And what about Mr. Eccleston and all that? How, 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 because I mean, it's quite a different world you're totally living in, right? Yeah, it's a very different world. I mean, amazing company, a sort of eight, ten billion dollar company that, if you take away the TV crews, has 80 people. So it's tiny in terms of people, um, but very much, you know, dominated by Bernie, who's, you know, the world of Formula One has you know, massive amounts to thank him for. Sure. If you go back and look at where it started, yeah. you know, he made it into what he what it was today. But the the flip side of that is he controlled absolutely every single element of everything. So it was a it was a great gig. Um 
it was interesting um it was very well paid um but it was you know you just didn't have the flexibility to go off and do things and i'm not you know i'm not i in some ways that was probably right because you know he definitely knew a lot about everything Mm. but in some ways the sort of you know things like the hospitality offer and stuff like that had become a little bit stayed the the advertising hadn't really started to digitize Mm -hmm. which was happening elsewhere and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so there were opportunities there but the real money owners for formula one are the tv rights and the um and the circuit hosting so that you know that's what he had he always managed to have 25 people chasing 20 races so they all would would always would end up paying top dollar and they work fantastically well so for somewhere like singapore it's completely in my mind um slightly biased but has reinvented singapore from a place that you know was don't step in the the chewing gum which you'll get arrested yeah (laughs) into sort of this fantastic night race that's a lot of fun and all the rest of it that goes with it so and there we go over you know I guess what I'm hearing as well is like so busy, so full on, consumed by work, all that. What about balance, and what do you do to balance. chill out, switch off, or is it just you're you're, you're <laughs> just love love the adrenaline? I kind of love the adrenaline of it. I I kind of I don't think I'm very good at balance. I think that's probably same same. Yeah, so I'm just kind of like I'm in it, yeah. and that's I think that's why you learn you got to have fun. Because mm. you're going to be full on, you've just got got to do it, and it doesn't matter how many times, you know. I promised Mrs. Campbell that I'm going to balance things and do whatever that work life balance thing yeah. is. I don't, yeah. so I try to get a, you know a couple of weeks away in the summer and switch off, but it doesn't totally work. But so I'm yeah. certainly not at no cost, but um, I, I'm not very good at balancing stuff. Yeah, and it's always it's, I don't uh, maybe one day in life, but I don't get this sort of the the pluralist thing of doing lots of different things it's far you know i had lots of fun in virgin because we're doing lots of different companies but all under the virgin banner yeah and you know we with richard uh caring now it's the same thing it's different things all under the same banner so it's very easy yeah. for me to go and go and say well he would quite like it if you spent seven days doing this and seven days doing that yeah but it's quite easy to go and say that's 14 days and it's only seven <laughs> in a week yeah, yeah. Um, so it's far easier to balance the the two between it and have that conversation rather than when different people and also you can if you thrive on getting really heavily involved in something, yeah. then you can do it. Yeah. If you, if if you, I think if you're a pluralist, you kind of you're good for a wee bit of time, but not a lot. I do one non-executive thing, which is a bit of a laugh. Which is is sorry, not I don't do it for a laugh. I do it <laughs> seriously, but it's good fun. But it's uh-huh. very different. Which is um, Pasha, which is the uh, Abethan club and restaurants and hotels and oh, stuff. Oh, that's like that, cool. Which is really cool. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Was oh was Fatboy Slim playing out there? He played last year. Hasn't played. Uh, this year was Mambo, maybe. I think. Yeah, so you've got Cal- Calvin Harris on at the moment. So, Is yeah. it? Wow. Yeah. That last night. What, yeah. What, did you get out there much for that? Uh, well, go to Ibiza quite a bit, but nice. not all, always just for that. Uh-huh. Um, but it's I like it because it's it's um, it's predominantly Spanish, but it's a it's, it's an international company. I love that international yeah. bit to it, and it's a different industry, and it's I think it's good to to have different influences in life because they make you think about things in a different way. Yeah. So that's always good from that. And, you know, hopefully again, it's very entertainment driven. It's very hospitality driven. So hopefully there's a bit that I can bring Brilliant. to play there as well. Oh, that's wicked. That's really good. Yeah. And then, so we've skipped one forward, I think. Um, what about Wags? Wags. Yeah. So 
it was really interesting. So I'd, I'd kind of, after Formula One, I was kind of talking to people about lots of different things. And, mm. and people were always kind of going, go back and um, what about this sports thing and all that kind of thing, entertainment venues. But you kind of, the, o, the O2, and we, we actually, I ran AG Europe, so there was other stuff beyond it. But it was, but the O2 was the biggest entertainment venue in the planet. I mean, literally. So um, it, we put on more shows and had more people um, than anywhere else. You know, bigger than Madison Square Garden. Made the, they had to change their signage from going biggest oh, place planet as a result of that. Sorry about that, guys. Um, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Uh, yeah, but it was all. Um, so I didn't really want to go. It, it's kind of, it's kind of when you built something like that, it's really difficult to go back and do it all again. Yeah. With the and I don't, I don't. I sort of, if you get passionately involved, it it's it's it feels like going off and trying to do the same thing against what you just built isn't yeah. the right thing. So I just didn't feel right for me to do that. And so it's just looking at all kinds of things. And again, just one of those phone calls that you get and say, "What about this?" And you think, "Well, I hadn't really thought about that." Mm-hmm. But um, it sounds quite interesting. And I I remember way back in the early days going to the very first works over in um, by the British Museum, mm-hmm. and then I got incredibly excited when the second one opened up. Um, in Soho, which was a block away from where Virgin Radio was, so yeah. that was very exciting. So I remembered it all back from those days, but I just kind of had fallen out of touch with it. Yeah, and I suppose when I look back on it now, I'd kind of not fallen out of love with it, but just not had the same enduring relationship with yeah. it. So I thought it's a great brand; it's really good. And the more I kind of, I, I went around the country and went to I don't know, ten, fifteen of them. And I thought there's something here, but there's mm-hmm. not something here. So I thought there was there was an opportunity to sort of uh, get something and reinvent it. How many is, was there when you took it over? I think there were ninety something, oh. just short of shy of hundred, somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah. Could be wrong. Apologies yeah. to somebody if I'm wrong. <laughs> somebody will somebody will write to you and go, "There's absolutely not the case." <laughs> and and what was the process then in just making it great again without um, being too Trumpy? I don't think it, I don't, as in, obviously it was a very big plan. I have no idea. <laughs> so, so I'd started um, and just, I guess a lot of it is sort of by gut, but you think you can kind of do something with it. And when I was looking at it before I said yes to it, I found this book on eBay called The Way of the Noodle, yeah. which was uh, Alan Yao's culinary genius in, sure. in my, my book. I mean, commercially, there's a, couple of question marks yeah you tend it's totally true you tend to be commercial or creative and that's what you are some people are both which is brilliant but the few and far between Mm. um and uh, and he claims not to written it but it absolutely is because it's basically the playbook it's out of print but i bought up a bunch of copies (laughs) on ebay and read it and read it and read it and reread it it's quite easy reading it's a half recipe book and half playbook and if you go back to the beginnings of why he did it some of it's quite serious and quite heavy but actually if you take the essence of it mm-hmm. what it was doing it just kind of lost the way and people i think it's really difficult and i think in the restaurant business especially and you can see it happen a lot at the moment people sort of almost homogenize the whole thing yeah. as they try to grow it and they lose that that impetus and that that sort of grounding of where the business came from and i think particularly we get founder made businesses mm-hmm. um, and founder developed businesses there's always some sort of dna back there mm-hmm. you just got to try and understand what it is so that was trying to go 
um, let's go back to the roots of what Wagamon was all about. And it was trying to understand it. So if you said to people that it was minimalist, you know, some people would go, it's all got to have really hard seats um, that don't feel very good and white walls and no atmosphere. And you're going, okay, well, that might have been the case in 1993 when it started, yeah. but that's not what minimalism is all about. Yeah. So how do we how do we reinvent minimalism in a different way that works and, and do that? And how do we, you know, particularly... In restaurants, people, you know, you get all these, um, I was always about to say daft accountants in, <laughs> very nice accountants in, who kind of just cut cut money out and forget about quality. And I'm always about, it's always good to, to be efficient in what you're doing, but it's always about the same or better quality. And, you know, fine, if you can get it at a lesser price, great. Yep. But it, you've got to keep pushing the quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did an awful lot of that. And, I mean... To me, any restaurant group as important as the, you know, all the the marketing people and the operations people, you know, one of the most important people is who's driving the food within those. And, you know, Steve Mangleshot, who in in WAGS is the guy who drives the food, is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Is that a London-y kind of guy? Yeah. Oh, he's he's completely East End of London guy, last person you would imagine (laughs) who is going to be the guy driving this stuff. But what he doesn't understand about Asian flavours and all the rest of the stuff is you know incredible and it was also trying to sort of go what what is the business you know mm-hmm. some sometimes it was a noodle shop and sometimes it was japanese and then it was selling stuff that wasn't japanese so yeah. we were kind of you know we just boiled it down into sort of you know uh, a- asian cooking inspired by japan but i mean and, and it was but that gave you the opportunity to go and um do buns and go and do curries and go and do other things and stuff like that yeah. as well that was asian but don't get carried away and get you know when i went to America the first time some of the American ones had been taken over by guys in America who'd uh had got french fries on the menu and you were going I'm I'm thinking this doesn't really fit with the uh, with the brand very well you're, you're, so you're we'll just, just not do that you're always one meeting away from someone yeah. saying that or yeah. let's put a burger on or let's do yeah. it and you're like Come and you on. would think that they were kind of joking but they really they really really they really really did that and they were kind of like it's operators oh. man yeah, and they were and they were going. They're going. Well, they're going. Sports is really big in America, and everyone's got you know TVs in their in their bars and restaurants. So, and I think they're actually you know I think I think from memory, if you go around Boston, there are Shake Shacks or Starbucks and stuff who've got TV and sports on. Yeah. So we had we had TVs with sports, and you're going like, can't do that. We've just got to do what we do. Yeah. Be true to it yeah. and make that work rather than try and be something that we're not and what were the sort of big levers that you, that you pulled or what was the moment that you thought right this is working you know what was happening um, so I, th- I think you're always trying to sort of be, I, I guess it was getting people focused in terms of what they're doing and then there was one particular word within the way of the noodle that to me and they when you talk to people about it they kind of used it before but they never really used it and mm-hmm. that was kaizen yes and kaizen is this sort of reinvention so every day you just do something a little bit better than mm-hmm. the day before and if you think about it for whoever you are whatever you are however you are mm-hmm. whatever you do that's such a great you know guiding i wish i could use it in more businesses but it yeah. kind of fits in the wagamama way better <laughs> than others so you're just constantly trying to go to people and talk about kaizen and push kaizen forward and you know every element about that in terms of how do you do something better but it is every day in every it's not about across the course of a year let's see how much better we can do yeah. it's like Objectives. every day just and it gives you a license to go and reinvent things and mm. do things in a different way and we and i think it's also about 
trying to create an environment that is just works for people at a restaurant level. So I, I I always get in trouble with people for going. I hate head offices, and I hate a lot of the things that go with head offices. Yeah. And I don't, you can cut and you listen. You can all you can sit around and call them. You know, in uh, um, bills they call it base camp. I don't really get it. And in other places they call them support offices. Yeah. And that, I don't care what you call it. It's a head office. We called it Noodle HQ because it was like yeah. it's the like head office. Whether you, whether yeah. you like it or not, it's the head office. But that's not where the business is about. The business mm. is about what happens at a restaurant. So you've just got to make the environment really work for those people. So mm. it's always about how do I support you? How can I make your life better? What can I do there? And sometimes that's saying what you can do. And sometimes it's giving license to go off and do whatever they want to do. And sometimes yeah. it's actually saying what you can't do. Yeah. So one of the things you can't do is mess around with the menu pricing because you're probably not going to be the best person and we can't have different menu prices yeah. in every restaurant. So we'll just take that off the did agenda. Did you just stay with one pricing for the Well, whole? we yeah, we never we never really did any kind of regional pricing or anything oh, like that. But very particularly you get people uh, are passionate disbeliever in discounting. Yeah. Um I hate discounting and I I think most people who do discounting are ultimately doomed to failure yes. or to less success maybe i should say rather yeah. than failure um it's a horrible drug and it's mm. just i think it's really hard to go cold yes. on the drug so people don't lose you know people just get hung up in it and yeah. year after year they just keep and the you know people i can think of now there's one last year I'll, i will save the blushes of the group by I doing know it, it is. oh it's just, <laughs> we talked about this yeah they're just they're giving you money off to the point where if you play through every offer on it i can basically go and eat for free mm. and you're just going this is nuts yeah you know but they but they're doing that and yeah. then they try and figure out where the business is going you know so i know when we introduce something that we can do better on it. it's not to mm. say that i can't love a customer and reward a customer but i just you know that whole thing of yeah. discounting so when you get people going oh we do two for ones or we do 10% off they're 30% off on Annie and just forget all that stuff yeah no well I think if you look at it you know I, I, I talk about Wags quite a lot in, in this example but Wags, Nando's, Pret Witherspoons yeah Hawksmoor Dishoom you know and there's varying degrees but of, of, of level but you know bills you know etc there's no discounting going on no and no that's just the way it is you know yeah. and what was the biggest learnings from wags then like you know good stuff and bad stuff as well well it's always people isn't it so people are what make the you know the restaurant businesses so they're all they're they're you know wags and the 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 same with uh, bills and the other they're all they're quite big companies quite a lot mm. of people so you have thousands of people and it's just trying to get those people motivated and successful and you know i love seeing people develop and seeing people grow and seeing mm. people be successful so that's what you that's what you're really trying to do and you're trying to give them the tools to help them in that journey yeah and what about bills then so a, a short stint at soho house yeah you know we bit bits and bobs and then over yeah to- yeah so just yeah so i've known nick for a long time and we there was a few bits and pieces that we, could, we were playing around with there um stuff within co-working stuff with, like that so it works um which i think is coming later this, it's, it's this pretty year soon yeah it's yeah. really imminent yeah so i mean it's obviously a big big market out there for that kind of thing and it makes a lot of sense if you go back to you know where they started in terms of members clubs and stuff like that but it you know that it, it's great but it's probably not the bit that really drives me mm. forward and i'm probably better in something where there's more of an existing business rather than the person with a blank sheet of paper going yeah. there is no business and how do we develop 
there are a couple of Soho works, but there's not a lot. Yeah. But it's kind of how do we develop something from there? Mm -hmm. So that that was it, and it, it's um, yeah. So then uh, ran into as you do. Uh, well, I'd known for a while and talked a few times uh, to to Richard caring about um, doing things, mm -hmm. and then eventually that came to pass. Yes. So, <laughs> so double trouble. You know, yeah. you've got like a lot on your plate. You know, enough enough for one. Yeah, but there's a lot of good people yeah, there, yeah. and um, and they're they're very different challenges. So mm -hmm. you know, the uh, the Ivy, um, Richard is intimately involved in every aspect and aspect of it, and it's really grown from you know what he bought in the company in 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 the first place mm -hmm. when he bought into Caprice, and it was Caprice and the Ivy and everything yeah. else that came out of that. Um, and so he's, you know, far more uh, intimately involved and the expert of, of that mm -hmm. particular part of it. And Bill's is, I suppose, is is more the territory that I'd come from with Wagamama. So mm -hmm. I bring more of the sort of operating understanding of how does that, that particular part work of it. But the, the juxtaposition between the two is really important. And mm -hmm. it was really important. Um, to him that you've got you know with the, the brands don't bump into each other yeah so you know the there's certainly i think it's just about eliminated now but i you know there's certainly times in a year ago at the beginning with it when you get people going oh they're doing this and bills and oh they're doing this in the ivy and you're going like oh, it's yeah. not they're different companies yeah, yeah. so we're just gonna we're, then they're not going to compete with each other and Put we're not going to go and nick their people and it, it's quite easy if somebody goes to try and steal somebody from one or other company they then ultimately i'm i'm the person they've got to talk to and go why are we doing that yeah there's a lot of people out there let's go and get them from somewhere else yeah. we're all very competitive but not against each other yeah and when you turned up at bills then what was going on there what sort of state was it in? what was the challenge ahead what, what was going on um it's it was in some ways but different ways it uh -huh. was a sort of a similar kind of thing to to wagamama where mm -hmm. it just felt that um you know, I, what I probably didn't do there that I should have done beforehand, but it wouldn't have made any different difference in the decision I, I took, was kind of do a bit more research on where I, I'd known Bills from when it got to Chichester, which okay. I think was like number three or four, somewhere yeah, in the early numbers, quite a long time ago. And, you know, I'd gone to the one in Lewis and, and knew that. And so again, knew the history and it was sort of, the same kind of thing with Wagamama. It's sort of gone off my radar mm -hmm. a bit. Um, thought at the beginning, I remember my initial thoughts where I thought it was really clever, really good. Mm -hmm. um, and it just didn't kind of come back on that radar. And I kind of, I, I found a bunch of people who just, I don't know how you best describe it. It hadn't, hadn't lost its way because they, they definitely there was a, a way, but just were a little bit rudderless and a little mm. bit like kind of it's a really difficult market out there and nobody's doing very well. And you know, I remember early conversations with Richard and he's like, he says, everyone tells me that it's not very good in that part of the market. Um, you know, the Ivy was doing fantastically, but yeah. um, but the rest of the, you know, that part of the market's not very good, but we're, you know, you've got a lot of people running around going to other restaurants and going yesterday I went three doors down the street and I saw them and they had less people. And then I went two doors down the street and they had less people. And we were the fullest restaurant out of anyone. And it's just a stupid statement because I've never, yeah. ever, ever in my life had anyone come to me and say, we were the quietest restaurant, you know, they just <laughs> always come and go, everyone else is really, really quiet, but we're not. And then well, it's kind of like you're drowning less fast than the other person. Yeah, 
and it yeah, doesn't exactly. matter. You're both so drowning. You're both getting drowned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's kind of like you go back and go, well, and I said to him, I said, well, there's this thing called peach that, you know, I don't know if we have it, we should look at it. And, and actually they had it, they just didn't talk about it. it. And it's just a, I don't I don't know if it's right, it's wrong, or it's indifferent. It's 50% of the market. Yeah. It's real numbers. That's what it is. There's your benchmark. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, in the last six, in the last twelve months, it says the market's gone up by one point seven percent. I think it's probably about right. Yeah, you know, might it might be one point nine, it might be one point five, but it's probably about <laughs> yeah, right. About and we'll take that as the benchmark and go. Yeah. Well, we've got to do better than that. Yeah, and if you just do that, then you can't. You're sort of going to go backwards because the cost of running a business year on year is going up at three, four, five percent. Mm-hmm. So you got to run a bit faster than it. So we use that and measure it and start to get people focused on it. And they're going, Oh, but we're way behind it. And you're going, well, great. We'll got to figure out how we get ahead of it. Yeah. So then there's, there's been a big refresh program. Yeah. So how far are you through that? We're about, um, about 30% of okay. the restaurants. And then I guess in the next sort of 18 months to two years, we'll finish off everything. So changes have been the orange has been <laughs> quite orange. a big well, yes, talking the, point. Yeah, it's it's kind of yeah. So everything's changed from externally in the branding, the color of the orange outside, um, the internal furnishings of it, the um, the small wares, the food, the service. Um, I think it's become much more dinner friendly yes. um, than it was before. So everyone always tries to hit all those three day parts. Um, and you know, absolutely nailed breakfast. We're pretty good at lunch, and didn't it kind of put the words up for dinner, but didn't really do dinner. Yeah. So we're trying to try to do a lot better there. And I mean, actually, you know, a lot of the impetus between behind that was was Richard in the first day, and then Bill is brilliant in terms of making the environment feel feel that way. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I, I said before was not learning enough about it, but actually spending time out in the road with Bill and going around places, I kind of really understood where he started from and where he came from and you know as as you know because you got involved in a bit of it you know a lot of it was trying to um understand what the dna was Mm -hmm. and there wasn't you know i I found it weird i've kind of go to people what is bills and they go i don't know yeah well they didn't say i don't know they'd all give me a different answer so i've suddenly got 100 words from (laughs) you know seven people telling me what it is yeah well i i think um you know I, i think it's that whole on what axis do you do you go? You know, kind of started as more of a cafe, greengrocers thing. Yeah. Do you stick there? Do you want to be more dinner for You know, where's the opportunity? Yeah. But I think in terms of the new faces, not. I mean, I think that statement of intent, seeing restaurant yeah. and bar up there, yeah. I think's pretty strong. Yeah, and I think that's really important because it's kind of before it was it was breakfast, lunch and dinner and it was restaurant, cafe, bar and we can still be all of those things yeah. but actually we're a restaurant first and we're trying to bring in more of the bar we've got in late September we're um, redoing a lot of the drinks menu and there's some fantastic cocktails and some really big improvements in sort of wine lists and, and beers and stuff like That's that good. so yeah really really good good stuff on there I mean just the team have done a fantastic job in terms of developing that so I think the whole that whole bar element mm-hmm. it's never going to be a place that you're going to go to just as a bar yeah but I think you've got to have that addition for it to make it a credible um nighttime venue mm. within it so but I also think it's just about focus and trying not to be all things to all people yeah well so can... hedgerow fizz is a particular favorite oh there's so, yeah. some stuff that I mean it's all it's actually very funny because a lot of it is very instagrammable or, or grammable yeah. I think it's called yes, these, uh, yeah. them the kids um <laughs> but it's um 
but not not for that intent but it is that way so yeah. it all looks really good and that you know that's when i look at a lot of people a lot of people kind of got onto this thing of you got to do a refurb to get the business moving forward mm-hmm. and it's kind of and i kind of it reminds me of a back in the back in the day um because you do uh, with Chris Evans and and uh, Ginger, we were about to buy a, a national newspaper, uh-huh. um, uh, the the Daily Star. We got very close to actually shook hands with wow. Lord Hollick and buying the Daily Star, and he was very disappointed because Chris was as, as an aside because he was um, he, he always had this line ready for the radio to come in and say and he said oh so so you know pissed off that we didn't do that he said i wanted to come in and say i bought a paper on the way in today what'd you buy the daily star (laughs) no no no, i bought the paper (laughs) so but i remember going and talking to the people at express who owned it at the time and they were going oh we've got this fantastic new relaunch of the paper and the whole thing and they they talked it up so much and i'm going like well tell me what i can't tell you about so secretive so secretive and i'm going like buying it so you've got to tell me what it is and they were they were doing it and it doesn't really work on a podcast but i can try and describe it but they literally the letters at the top of the masthead moved about two degrees and on a tilt and they went there and you're going like bloody hell if i I hadn't if you hadn't told me that i probably wouldn't have noticed it there (laughs) and i some and i think that analogy is quite important from the restaurant business there's Mm. a lot of people who kind of go we've got a new catch line or we've got a new logo and there we go. And you don't. And if you go through, you know, particularly on uh, the the Bills program with it, every single element, whether it's from glasses to plates yeah. to cutlery to how the cutlery is on the table to yeah, everything. I'm not going to give the whole playbook of everything we yeah, do. Yeah. But every single element is touched. Only everything. Yeah. It's only everything. Yeah. It's it's and this and that and that and that and that yeah. and that and that, um, and you. That's what makes it work, and that's yeah. why it's successful. And I look at these people who kind of go, "We changed the logo," and you go like, "Okay, yeah, <laughs> good luck." <laughs> well, there's been a few reports of that in the in the news yeah. the last few days, and there's there's been a few doing it as well, and. I think just changing your logo that will go on your POS, they're not even going to refit the signage, I yeah. think, is bananas. Yeah, no, yeah. and I mean, I even I know, you know, we have restaurants where we haven't yet updated the, the externals to mm. the new branding and the rest of it. Because you're doing other stuff that makes it work operationally, yeah. it can still be good. Yeah. And if it isn't good, then I know the reasons why, and it's not because we haven't changed. The, the logo's going to help. Yeah. But it's never going to be the bit that's going to get people going, oh my God, they got a new logo. I must go in there. <laughs> it's a neat trick, though. It was at lastminute.com. That's all we did. I think we lifted it, uh, <laughs> the whole thing, 15 degrees. And it was like, yeah. it's action and it's velocity. And it's yeah. like, you know, it's just well, I've been through both. So bizarrely, in Pepsi, we changed the logo a few times. But in Virgin, Virgin is Virgin, and there's very little you do to change the Virgin yeah. logo. So we've just left that. Learn to live with it. Yeah. <laughs> so a couple of final things, because I need to let you go on because you're a busy man. Um, so uh, leadership stuff. So what's the style? What's the, you know, <laughs> how, how how do you describe your your style of leadership? Um, how would I describe my answer? Good question. Um, so other people might describe it differently. I've done a 360 on you. So Have yeah. you? Okay, do you want to start with <laughs> no. that and then tell me what the 360 says and then I can come back and tell you what's right, wrong and indifferent. Um, so I, I think I'm quite driven. I'm very results orientated. So I think you get... 
people you, you we talked about earlier things like peach and outperforming the market and stuff like that so i think you get people excited by showing them that you can get results so and i think that's really important to do the same kind of thing so it's, you know, if you say you're going to do something do it and mm. do something about it i'm not great about sitting in meetings having conversations about something we've previously had a conversation about yeah. because that's not great so i suppose that would kind of go to the um don't sort of suffer fools gladly but people who perform really try to sort of put fuel on the fire and get them performing and get them to do things but equally live by the same um myself so try and see that we can do things mm -hmm. and show that we can get results and build success out of it and you know in touchwood so far we've been quite lucky with that so you're trying to you know for the owners of the business you're trying to create value in it mm -hmm. for the people who work in the business the more you create value the more you allow money to be reinvested into the people and into the business itself so that's always always good nice yeah and future stuff so what is the future for you bills <sighs> ivy what's what's just keep growing we're, um honestly we're really happy where we are so mm -hmm. i think everyone comes in and kind of or not everyone comes in a lot of people come in and go this we're going to do and do that and do that we're the the bis both businesses are growing really yep. really well um we're expanding we just opened ivy in glasgow last week i saw which is great and the kind of galleries yeah it? Yeah, just up there. Yeah, mega, yeah. Char it Charlie's is, done a great job. No, it's yeah. really, really good. Yeah. Um. So that's that's doing well. We're just we will open up in a couple of months. Um. We're moving bills in Manchester, so we'll open up a first new bills. Um. Oh. Uh. For for a while, and then there'll be more to come Can after you say that. Where? Along, uh, in Spinningfields, is it right? Yeah. Okay, so, all good. Which would be great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm obviously got an ivy there, so we know that area quite well. So that that's quite helpful. Yeah. And we'll start to roll out some some new bills and more uh, more of the refurbishments and stuff as well. But we're not, you know, what you know, one of the things that is kind of it is sort of funny. It's kind of like, you know, you can never get the bank to lend you money when you need the money, but mm -hmm. when you don't need the money, you can. It's easier to get the money off them, and it's kind of as long as we can keep building the businesses and be successful, we haven't got a need to sort of go and this is what we got to do. Yeah. And although I guess I would say. We kind of run the businesses in a similar way to a private equity backed business. It's not with any, um, we've got to sell it in mm. this amount of time, or even if we have ever got to sell it. Yeah. If the business is successful and it's doing well, we can reinvest in it and we can make some money out of it. That's good for everyone. Can we get Bill on the telly? Can we get Bill on the telly? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. I really want, I, I think he deserves to be on the telly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that's needs to happen. It's not, a, it's not a, always a fantastic track record with chefs on telly and restaurants, but <laughs> that aside, I, was, I was thinking more than Nigel Slater. Okay, okay, fine. Down that good life. Yeah, no, sort of he's, route, well, Bill, he's so good. I mean, when you get back to all the, the, um, the, the where he started out, you know, he's so good on all the ingredients and yeah. everything else that goes behind it, and his enthusiasm for it is great. And it's, you know, it's a little bit of, um, the, the same kind of effect you get with it with a Branson with it you know if I just if I go into a restaurant with him it's great because yeah. it just it pumps people up and they get excited so you know I'm sure he doesn't always like it but I'm always like you've got to be out on the road you've got yeah. to be out talking to people go and talk to people and do it and he's he is you know phenomenal in terms of doing the refurbishments and I think you know I think you know what he and the guys have come up with for Manchester for what we do in the sort of first new one for a while, which is is very much you know like the ones that we've we've refurbished. So it's not again, mm. it's not let's not go go off and do something different. It's all an evolution of where we are. Yeah. I think that's a really important word, evolution. Yeah. So stick to your DNA and and evolve from there. Don't 
suddenly change it all and become no, completely different? No, it would just be, yeah, sort of dad at the disco sort of stuff. It wouldn't have fitted yeah. the business at all, you know. Yeah. So I think it was nice just to tick it on a bit. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just thinking about, yeah, Bill's Beach Grove Garden, if we go back to Scottish television, <laughs> or, uh, you know, so, and then Bill's Bargain Hunt. They, yeah. they could do the, the antiques sort of thing. So yeah, <laughs> I think it could, the, we could get, I could be his agent. I, I, I will. Please well, mention you know it him. To him. Yeah, I'll mention it to him. It's like I'm sure he will. That'll be good fun. So, yeah. last couple of questions then. Yeah. Best city to eat in? <laughs> um, well, I don't know. Best city to eat in? Um, I. God, it's very hard to pick. I'm. I'm always influenced by what you've seen last. Uh-huh. Just come back from Ibiza, so I'll probably go. It's not really a city. Yeah, there is yeah. a Ibiza city, yeah, yeah. but there's Ibiza is the island. Great place to eat. Actually, it's really good restaurants in Ibiza. Um, London, New York. I think London, New York, and Ibiza would be my three choices. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. Best restaurant. Uh, well, in London, I'm going to pick one because that's like picking one of your children. So I can't, <laughs> can't do that. All your children are created equal, you know. <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're all fantastic. Uh, New York. Um, where would I pick in New York? Um, there's a really good restaurant by Houston and Lafayette called Gatto, okay. which has kind of got, actually funny enough, got a bit of a Spanish influence on it as well. But it's a guy called uh, Bobby Flay, who's a kind of celebrity oh, yeah. American chef. He was and on it, like Iron Chef or something, Yeah, wasn't exactly. He? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. So he's, I can't remember his partner, uh, Lawrence, uh, Lawrence, Lawrence, okay. I Lawrence is like <laughs> um, and they they've got this fantastic restaurant there, which I just really love. And I also love the um, in New York um, Soho House, Ducked Up, which I think is just fantastic. So is that in Dumbo? Yeah, uh-huh. no, not in Dumbo. Sorry, in um, um, the East Village. Oh, okay. In yeah, Ludlow House. Uh-huh. So on the top of that, so it's just um, uh, oven fired duck, which is just you know fantastic. I mean they. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! Just oh. a completely mad Nick Jones concept, but totally works. You know, not, I, and I love that because Nick is totally one of those people who who is just has an idea and isn't going to sit there and come up and go. I did a lot of market research, and it showed that, which it would never show, yeah. that Duck was going to be the the concept to go with there. So Duck Top is good, and in Ibiza, there's a I, 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 I'm I'm loath to say it because if I say it and then anyone goes then it will get busy but it's a, a, not that it's not busy in any case but there's a fantastic little restaurant called Calabonita which okay. is down a sort of three mile dusty track right on the coast little Chiringuito type thing but just a phenomenal level of food Lovely. that these guys have created there with a sort of Australian Asian Mediterranean kind of combination to the stuff and just beautiful sea bass and stuff there nice. Lovely. Very nice. Uh, best dish? Best dish. I, I think the Calabinita sea bass is okay. to die for. Nice. There you go. Um, best drink? What's your go-to Go-to drink? drink. Uh, it depends who, what, where and when. <laughs> what kind of day um, What kind of day it is. Um, pro- I mean, I'm quite... I'm sort of beer or wine more uh-huh. than I am um, anything beyond that. And I'm probably... I don't know. It's, fun, it's really strange when I'm in America... Um, I, the American beer scene has changed so much. When I lived there, it was all about Budweiser and yeah. Miller, and it was nothing. And there's so many fantastic craft beers in America. So I think some of the great sort of pale ales and stuff mm-hmm. that you get from craft stuff there uh, is good. I think probably it's back in Scotland, a bit of eighty shillings can't go. You yeah, and I you would understand so what that is. But yeah. I know, but you and I would understand what yes. that is, and others would go like, "What are they talking about?" <laughs> um, what McEwen's or Belhaven or something? Else? Oh yeah, Belhaven or yeah, something yeah, even yeah. even smaller than that. If I can yeah. find it, yeah, it'd be Harvesting. great. Yeah. yeah, and 
Um, and and I, I I love um, Rose One. So any yeah, yeah. any kind of Rose One. It's very, very funny. I was in America when we were starting Wagamamba New York. And they were asking about drinks or something like the same same kind of question. I said rosé, and the guy I was with, um, should remain nameless, started laughing and going, "Ooh, girl drink." And they were going, "No, brosé. That is the new thing. Brose. Anyone who's on top of it is right there." So I'm very, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be out of the closet and saying that I'm a rosé. Some, rose, some, rose some ace in? No, a bit of ace. Uh, oh no, not for the best cold, ones. Cold. Not, yeah, yeah, just cold, cold. But for the the very best ones, you don't want to. Any particular type? Uh, love, uh, there's a fantastic brand, can't afford it on a regular basis, <laughs> fantastic brand called Whispering Angel, which has got a premium one called Rock Angel, okay. which is just absolutely fantastic. But it's a bit uh, ching-ching. Yeah, a bit okay. ching-ching, but yeah. And then last question, worst restaurant, what would you avoid? Worst restaurant? God, um, I can't, I can't put a name. Or, or even experience. Experience. Yeah. It's probably it probably goes back probably experience probably goes back to Ibiza again. Oh really? They probably uh, probably go. There's a fantastical island. Uh, Ibiza's little brother called or cousin or whatever um, called Formentera. Uh-huh. You kind of get there by boat. And worst experience was um, she will deny it was her case, but getting out of a um, they bring a little boat to a tender thing to get you into it, yeah. and you kind of get out of it. And um, I fell off it or i think mrs campbell pushed me off it oh, no. but i fell off it so I ended up sitting in this fantastic restaurant in this beautiful island soaked head to toe so that was probably my worst experience oh, so it's like quite and clearly not the kind of place where you take you know i've, I've come with the suitcase ready to change so. <laughs> yeah right yeah. so any final thoughts on leadership marketing turning businesses around any advice for people out there that are in the ship i i would uh supersonic a very good company apparently (laughs) (laughs) i would immediately go to yeah that's getting Uh, (laughs) right okay um no i think uh, bring the people with you people so important is the very most important thing so i think it's kind of as we've i hadn't really thought it through to the same degree because i think you kind of learn things and then become intuitive rather than you sort of read it in a book and say Mm. i must do something different than i've done before but i think culture is really important and if i think about it from my own experience that's kind of come all the way from you know Mm -hmm. some of the disciplines of places like pepsi to some of the you know definitely some of the sort of entrepreneurial aspects of working for a virgin and and a branson through to some of the visions of you know people like a like a Phil Anschutz or Richard Caring, so yeah, Brilliant. people, culture, very important. Create the right culture, get the right culture around you, and you can go anywhere. Without it, it's not going to happen. And it, and you know, I guess the, the final bit. I mean, we talked about working hard and work-life balance, but it's hard. Mm-hmm. There's not a silver bullet, and I always see these people kind of thinking there's a. It's not. It's really about. There are a lot of detail. There are a lot of different different things, and you've yeah. really got to get involved in every single element of it. Yeah, you know? I, I think it's just you know if if self awareness. So if you know you're wired that way, yeah, don't fight it. You know, yeah. just get stuck in, and yeah, bring the right people with you. Yeah, but try and get some results. If you get a result, then you can go great. I've pushed there, and that happens. So then push again. And you can do more and keep going. But it's it's there's not an easy. There's no one trick answer to it. Yeah, yeah. Or at least if there is, nobody's told me where Shame. it is. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mister, I'll let you get on with your day. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much. Most enjoyable. Cheers. Thank you.
So there you have it, an instant classic episode of the Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast with Mr. David Campbell. Really amazing to talk with David all the way through the amazing career he's had, the training, the businesses that he's worked in, the experiences taken from all of the roles that he's had, and all of the learnings he's taken from the leaders that he's been working with. A huge thanks to David for being on the podcast. I hope we'll get a part two at some point soon. I really get the feeling there'll be lots more to cover over the next few years. A huge thanks to you for listening. We're really rocketing up the iTunes charts. So thanks so much for everyone that's listening, sharing, subscribing, telling that one friend or colleague and writing us a review, apart from the people that gave us a one out of five. Thanks for that. But thanks so much to everyone who's been doing that. I really, really appreciate it. A massive thanks to Gaz and Gabby as well for putting the podcast together every week. A huge thanks to our sponsors, BDO, for all of their support for every single episode in the Supersonic series. And this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. I really hope that this episode has given you some real value that will help your brand boom. Boom.